What's up, sons and daughters? This is Sam Jesse, and I am back with the crew from the Locks of Saturday. Robert, Brett, and Chris are with me tonight. And fellas, week one was a doozy. We had great games on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Monday was interesting for about the first half, but not so much for the second half. A great weekend to start college football. Robert, what was your favorite game? Oh, man, that's such a tough question, but because there were so many. I think the game I was the most into was probably the ECU-NC State game because I was rooting so hard for ECU. But the way that that ended, I just could not – I can't say that that's my favorite. So I'll say my favorite was the App State-UNC game because that was just as crazy an ending, but so much offense, which I love. Let's, let's remind our listeners of what the captain's pick of the week was last week, that exact same ECU-NC State game. Captain's pick of the week, going to have another tasty one ready for tonight. You know what? It did feel pretty good. ECU plus 11 and a half. We'll go over those real quick. If you want to Robert, I was, I had Houston on my card for this week. It was just a tough, tough game played a poor first half. They did not cover the four point spread. Brett, um, yours, yours worked, worked out pretty well for you. Didn't it? Your nutty pick of the week. Yeah. Temple Duke under uh, 51. Yeah. Smoked it 30 to nothing. Temp, uh, Duke beat Temple. Temple might be the worst college football team in the last like decade. Like they are really FBS team. Like they are really freaking bad. Yeah. Pretty pretty tough place to have a good football program. Pretty easy to hit an under when one team doesn't score. Yeah, that is, that is very true. Um, Both. I mean, TCU minus 13 and a half at Colorado was a lock basically from the start. Uh, Had a friend at that game. It was a beautiful night. Great sunset. Do do pray for my friend Matt though. He is a graduate of both Virginia Tech and Colorado Boulder. So uh probably the two worst football teams to be a fan of right now. Let's go ahead and get started with two teams that it would be phenomenal to be a fan of. Alabama is minus 20 at the University of Texas. This game, for some godforsaken reason, is at noon Eastern on ESPN. The over-under is set at 61 and a half. Now, we're recording this Tuesday night. We're going to come out with it Thursday morning. So these lines might move, but the vibe is the same. This line started at minus 17. It's all the way up to 20. A popular tease has been like getting this to 21. But man, oh man, Robert, we'll start with you. Can Texas keep it close? Or or can Texas pull the upset? Yeah, well... (laughs) I think the fact that you asked that first question first kind of tells you all you need to know about this game. But I am really tempted to take the points. Uh, I actually like Texas's roster, or at least the offense. I mean, mainly it's Bijan Robinson. He's just a phenomenal player, and he really is the best running back in the country. But I really just can't do it. Um, And the main statistic I want to look at here is it's been well-documented how well Nick Saban does against his former assistants. Um with only two losses against former assistants in his entire career, both of which came last year. And those were both to one was to Jimbo Fisher. The other was to Kirby smart in the national championship. But I think an interesting caveat to keep in mind is that was Jimbo Fisher's fifth time playing Nick Saban as a head coach. And it was Kirby Smart's sixth. So it took those two that long to be able to beat Nick Saban. And this will be Steve Sarkeesian, the head coach of Texas's first time ever facing Nick Saban since leaving Alabama. And so former Nick Saban assistants are 0-9 in their first game against Nick Saban 
with an average loss of 26.6 points per game, the worst of which being uh, Mark D'Antonio losing by 42 as the head coach of Michigan State against Alabama. (laughs) It's just bad. But yeah, so if that result holds firm here, you can expect Alabama to cover this, plus maybe an extra touchdown. Um, and I do think, especially with Sark, with Sark's style as a coach, you know, he's he's one of the best offensive minds in the country. But as far as like pure scheme goes, that's pretty hard. When you know, when Saban spent years watching you run that scheme and has probably been secretly plotting how to destroy you, um, I don't I don't expect Pete Golding, the Alabama defensive coordinator, really to have much say in the game plan at all. I expect Saban to just kind of take it over and just say, "Hey, this is how we're going to beat Sark." and they're going to do it pretty violently. And yeah, Alabama's going to win this by God knows how much. Brett, before you get on, I just checked that the um, over-under for the game has jumped to 64 and a half. So expecting a lot of scoring in Austin. Yeah, I'm on the same track as over here. It, I've gotten burned too many times betting against Alabama. I did it last year. Well, I did it the year before last. And last year, I just stuck with my gut and taking Alabama every game. And it worked, paid out pretty good for me. So I'm going to keep going the trend here. Um my biggest thing is, yeah, I like Texas offense, but this will be by far the best defense they face all year and by like a large margin. I mean, I don't think Quinn Ewers is ready to face Will Anderson. I mean, there's just no way. I mean, he's not ready. So that's kind of where my line, that's where I draw my line in the sand is like, you know, is Texas, you know, are are they back from a roster standpoint? They've been back for like eight years. It feels like they're back with from a roster standpoint. You know, and they looked better last week. I mean, they didn't. They didn't actually have any. They were didn't look disappointing in an opener like they usually do. But uh, yeah, I'm still taking Alabama here. Um, they're gonna eat all the points. So, but I will talk about next week about Texas matchup against UTSA. That is one to keep an eye on. Yeah, I'm with you guys. Uh, it's it's got to be Alabama. You don't make money betting against Alabama and Texas is a team that quite frankly you lose money betting on their two and six against the spread in their last eight games. Whereas Alabama, this is a crazy stat. They are 14 and 10 against the spread when favored by 20 or more points since the start of 2019. They've been favored by 20 or more points 24 times in the last two plus seasons. I, I don't think it will be an embarrassing three touchdown loss. But it's still going to be a three-touchdown loss, and I do expect this to be high-scoring as well. So even though Alabama's defense looks really, really good against Utah State, I I don't think Utah State really showed much playbook in that game. I think they just kind of rolled over um, and submitted for that game, just didn't want their star players to get injured. So give me Texas in this – excuse me, give me Alabama in this one, minus 20, um, and you could think about the over in this because I think Bama might score – into the upper 40s pretty easily so make this a consensus line across the board i'm also on bama minus 20 and for me it was you know kind of the sentiment nationally until i see texas is back i'm going to go ahead and go with the team that's already here and that's alabama so to feed into what herbie alluded to and then sam what you uh just did uh i went back from the last 10 years of saving and just understanding kind of what we're looking at when we're looking at a 20-point line. So in non-conference games and as an away favorite, which this this matchup is pretty much in alignment with both. Non-conference game in 51 games, Alabama is only, you think about this, only 51% against the spread. 
as an away favorite, 53% in 40 games. And you look at that and you go, huh. Then you realize what Sam and also Irby also alluded to. You realize that their average margin of victory in those 51 and 40 games, so 91 games total across the board, were all 30 points and above. Average margin of victory. So that just means that they not only are having just an insane numbers put to them every single week to have to clear spreads by some of them north of 30 points. Uh, but the fact that they've kept it on average at 30 points over that many games just is a true testament just how dominant Alabama has been. So I look at a 20-point line. This couldn't go high enough, in my opinion, up until the higher 20 parts, and I would still clearly favor Alabama. So I just looked at that and said 20 points seems like a gift. Take Bama. Don't think about it. Texas might surprise, but I'm not going that going into the week. I will be pleasantly surprised after the fact. But at this point, don't don't fade Texas. Don't fade Bama just yet. Agreed there. And we have no reason to think that Texas is anything other than hype. Yes, they beat Louisiana Monroe, but hard to tell anything based on that. Let's keep it in the Southeastern Conference because, yes, Alabama, Texas will one day be an SEC game. Shane Beamer and the South Carolina Gamecocks are seven and a half point underdogs when they travel to Fayetteville to play the Arkansas Razorbacks. This game is also at noon. Over under is at 52 and a half. Robert, a lot of hype around South Carolina this year. Spencer Rattler and Shane Beamer and the energy around that program kind of got off to a rocky start against Georgia State, who we will talk about later, I am sure. But do they have it against a top 25, probably top 20 uh, Arkansas team? Yeah, Arkansas coming in, I believe they were number 16 in the newest poll. Um, so, you know, that's a big time opponent. I will say this was probably the toughest game for me to pick um, of our slate this week. Just me personally, like I looked at a couple of, um, you know, projection models and CFB graphs put the projected margin at Arkansas by seven. S&P Plus from ESPN put it at nine and you know we're looking at a seven and a half point spread so that's right on it um very tough here but my gut is telling me to take the points um as you mentioned rattler did not look good in week one um they really didn't run the ball at all so their offense collectively did not look good but their defense did um i think holding that georgia state team to 14 points that is that is significant um, Georgia State has been consistently one of the best offensive programs at the F or sorry at the G5 level um, over the past few years and really at the national level. And to hold them to 14 points is is definitely nothing to scoff at. Um, I also think that Arkansas, yes, they beat Cincinnati last week, but the fact that they almost blew a 14 point lead like three times um, against a Cincinnati team that. I really don't think is is comparable at all to the Cincinnati team from last year. Um, I think you could argue that South Carolina is actually better than that Cincinnati team. Um, yeah, that didn't make me feel great about Arkansas. Um, I think Rattler plays a little bit better, you know, maybe takes care of the ball a little bit better. The South Carolina defense keeps them in it, makes things tough for KJ Jefferson. Arkansas will win, but I think it's by one possession. So I'm going to take the points and take the one possession victory for Arkansas. Yeah, that's a tough one. I think like one possession sounds about right, but I'm going to zag. And I think if this game was at South Carolina, I think it would be a lot different. I think Arkansas is um, 
but not, I think they kind of are recycling what they had last year. I think they might be even a little better. Um, KJ Jefferson looks a lot better. I think the Cincinnati people might be looking at Cincinnati being like, hey, they lost a lot, you know, in Arkansas. You know, they only beat them by a touchdown. But we keep forgetting that Cincinnati's not like a bad coach team. They didn't have like a – they weren't like had some kryptonite year, you know. They're a well-coached team now, and they are consistent. So it's not easy to beat them, even – from a year that they have to playoff year. So that's where I'm looking at it. Like where Arkansas was like, that was a, actually a marquee win for them this year. And they were able to hold on. And I just like Cage Jefferson at home. I think last year, I think they may actually have been a year early. I think I took them on some picks last year and they were a little, they were a year early. And I like, uh, I'm just still not sold on Spencer Rattler. I'm just not at all. And I think he gets, I mean, no pun intended. He gets rattled very easy. So especially in a place, a very hostile environment like Arkansas, even though it's a noon game, um, I still think it's just going to be too much for them. I think it's going to be just probably about 10, 12, 14 point win for Arkansas. So I'm taking Arkansas. I'm with you, Brett. This is a, it's a really tough game to pick because I do think Arkansas is probably a touchdown better than South Carolina. Uh, I, I wasn't really impressed with what South Carolina did to Georgia State. I know they're a pretty good G5 team, but you have that game at home. It's at night. You should have the momentum. And offensively, South Carolina just did not look good. Neither did Spencer Rattler. Uh, that South Carolina offense, they had negative expected points added per rush and per pass. That means every time South Carolina ran a play, their expected points went down. It's supposed to go the other way. So that's not very good. I think in general, and we'll see what he looks like in Fayetteville this weekend, but we might need to get ready. Like maybe Spencer Rattler just isn't that good. And he just had a few good games at Oklahoma where it seems like every quarterback has a good game because this guy, you know, he has not proven that he's an elite quarterback in the college football level. Something also interesting about this game, both teams are five and five against the spread in their last 10, and the over is eight and two in each of these teams' last 10. So very similar teams against the spread. But again, I'm going to take the home team here. I'm going to take Arkansas. I think they beat a really good Cincinnati team. I think Arkansas wins this game by like 10 to 14 points. Uh, should be a good game. I'm in agreement with you, uh, Sam and Brett. Uh, I also am. I also took Arkansas, but I didn't think that hard about it. Um, and this might just come from my understanding of what Lincoln Riley is as a coach and then how people – I know you had Caleb Williams behind him, but Rattler was supposed to be a stud, five-star coming in, and was supposed to basically just transition Oklahoma into this national power because it was the first time they had, quote-unquote, the fully understood from scratch five-star developed quarterback under Lincoln Riley. Um, so – I'll leave you with that thought real quick. We'll go back a little bit. Going in from this offseason, based off of all the noise that South Carolina was making, and justifiably so, South Carolina getting transfers is a big deal because it's not normally the case. I have been harping on that specific metric, which is transferring assets, returning production, the TARP metric. I'm going to keep hammering it. It's on the Action Network if you haven't looked at it yet, but it's a pretty good understanding of who has what and how valuable those assets really are from a metric standpoint. So I love those ratings thus far. Granted, if you have experienced players who are coming back that are just coming back but not productive, <clears throat> Virginia Tech, <clears throat> that's one thing. But if you have coming in assets from a transfer and returning production standpoint, it really shows who is kind of rising to the top. So that's why I love Mississippi State to lead on the year because they were good and all coming back. Um, so segue back into where we were. 
with all of the transfer noise with South Carolina, based off of TARP and the seasons that they had and then the off seasons, do you think South Carolina should have been kind of on par with Arkansas or significantly more just based off that perception of getting not only uh, Spencer Rattler, but I forgot the tight end's name. He came with him. It was kind of like a package deal, but they had a really loud off season. So you would think that they would rate much higher, correct? You would think just in general, South Carolina would recruit better than Arkansas. And that was that my perception was the same. And then I went in there and I don't have it up right now. I can pull it up here in a second, but that wasn't the case. Arkansas actually ranks much higher from a returning production standpoint, even though they didn't really shock and awe on the portal asset. So that just leads you to know that Arkansas, kind of what Brett alluded to, they have a lot of continuity and that continuity has grown together under Pittman for the last few years. So they, they, they have that at home. Um, and then from just understanding what Lincoln Riley does with quarterbacks, Rattler developed with Lincoln Riley for three years, and this is still where he is at as a quarterback. If you cannot develop as a number one type rated quarterback, Lincoln freaking Riley, and I have F in, in full context on my notes here, um, that is saying something to me. So now you are leaving that system and going into South Carolina system, which I believe Phil Longo as the offensive coordinator, imagine that specific of a downgrade. It, I, correct me if I'm wrong, if that is correct, if, if Longo is the South Carolina offensive coordinator. I believe Longo so. was still at uh, North Carolina. I'm sorry, I'm thinking of someone else that... Um, I think their guy's name is like Satterfield or something. But not it, it is a downgrade, though. And that is the big thing for me is, is he still isn't there. It's year four of his college development, and he still looked like garbage in week one. That's who he is. So for him... To go on the road i don't see them keeping this game close if he still plays poorly which i suspect that will happen and so seven and a half points i love this line for arkansas um i'm going to be watching just to kind of hate watch spencer rattler on the road but just give me the hogs give me razorbacks who pick suey 12 o'clock it's going to be a great game to really see if arkansas is not necessarily kind of that spunky middle of the road slash can play up occasionally to an actual dominant sec team especially in the west so uh, I, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to this game as a benchmark of how much Arkansas is actually growing into more of a power, more so than is South Carolina ready to play on the road as an underdog. Key to this game will be the Arkansas front seven against a pretty bad South Carolina offensive line. If South Carolina's offensive line can't hold the pressure, this game could actually get ugly pretty quick. Another interesting thing about this game on Action Network, I see that 70% of bets are coming in on Arkansas. 70%. That's a pretty big number. So uh, this line has been moving. It was kind of like six and a half, seven and a half. You might see it at eight and a half now. So uh, keep an eye on this one. Should be a should be a fun game to watch. Let's move on to one of, I think, one of the most underrated non-conference games of the entire season where the defending Big 12 champs and Baylor Bears travel to Provo, Utah to play my darling of the year the BYU Cougars. Baylor is three and a half, three point underdogs for this game. Robert, I, I mean, you know where, you know who I'm picking, um, Robert. You, you already know. I might not even talk on this one, but who are you going with? Because this could be a game with playoff implications, dare I say? Yeah. I mean, these are two contenders um, legitimately. Um, I mean, as we've said on this podcast a million times, you don't go into Provo, Utah and win a football game. You just don't. Uh, BYU, they do not lose at home. If you look at their last six home games against ranked opponents, they are four and two straight up in those games. And 
I know that's not perfect, but four and two, a winning record, winning two thirds of your home games against ranked opponents. Not a lot of programs can say they do that. Um, I know the Hokies in particular tend to lose those games. So among other programs that shows that BYU is well above average at home. Um, and as we've laid out before um, in other preview podcasts and whatnot, BYU is a good enough team to make the college football playoff with their schedule. Um, their schedule is definitely a gauntlet. They have a lot of tough teams to play Baylor being the first of them, but I don't see that slip up. If it happens, I don't see it happening with this game. Um, I think BYU will, you know, I think they'll make it pretty far into the season showing that they are a true playoff contender before eventually, you know, fatigue and whatnot just kind of sets in and they lose some of those later games like to um, Arkansas and Liberty or teams like that. But um, yeah, I don't see it happening this first game. And plus a minus three spread right here that is small enough to where you can feel comfortable just riding the team that you expect to win the game. Cause it's pretty difficult to win a football game by one or two points. Uh, it's usually by three or more. So I feel comfortable with BYU here. Yeah. I'm just taking, taking BYU all the way. Yeah. I'm on the Cougars as well. Um, they were, you know, top 10 team, you know, I think they do have playoff implications off also like we talked about. Uh, in our preseason and whatnot, but uh, BYU, if there's any team that looked like a well-doled machine besides Georgia opening weekend, it was BYU. I mean, they absolutely steamrolled South Florida, who was had rated one of the best transfer portal uh, classes, you can call it, in college football. I believe they were ranked, like, top six or maybe seven. They, they got been- Baylor's quarterback from last year. Yeah, they were um, they were ranked I think like pretty high in the transfer portal, and they got a and they, they're like the perfect school for that. You know, uh, G five team in South Florida. You know, good weather. You know, new coach. They have new coach, new staff. You know, so it's it's a good school for right now for transfer transfers. I think that are coming from Power Five to the G five level. Um, anyways, got sidetracked. They steam BYG absolutely destroyed them it wasn't even close i think byu scored 21 points in the first quarter i believe i mean it was just a thrashing and i just think that they're like we've talked about it's byu is one of the toughest places to play at home um and yeah that's pretty much it i'm all in on the cougars i think i was not we talked about the preseason i was not the biggest fan of betting BYU to make the playoff just because the value is not there like it was for Cincinnati last year. But I think I might have to do it before the weekend um, because they beat BYU. I think it kickstarts them for the next few games against Oregon, Oregon and Notre Dame and Arkansas, three out of five games. So, Yep. I mean, I'm all on, I'm all on BYU this year. You, they are one of the best home teams in the country. Uh, they are 14-1 and one straight up in their last 15 home games. They are, as a team that's about to go to the Big 12, 7-1 and one against the spread in their last eight against the Big 12. I like BYU here. Jaron Hall is a phenomenal quarterback. He's about to be a national name. I like what they've done offensively, kind of replacing Tyler Algier, who was kind of their workhorse every down back. They're kind of going a bit more by committee here. They're trying to get some more big plays, get more receivers involved. I, I really like BYU in this spot. 
I'm going to quickly correct myself. Marcus Satterfield is the offensive coordinator. So thank you, Irby. I'm clarifying that for South Carolina. And that other brings up another point. If I learned anything in Power 5 football over the last few years, always bet against the Satterfield. All right, moving on to BYU. Um, I'm taking them minus three here. Uh, I love all the reasons thus far, but personally, I wouldn't be a true believer in my TARP metric if I didn't say some sort of massive disparity in ratings and rankings. So BYU, one of the top teams in the country, what I mean top is like they're tied for third in the nation with a plus 10 rating. And that's pretty evenly distributed in terms of offensive and defensive score. Baylor, minus six. So that's a 16 point metric margin between both teams and a matchup where Baylor is basically a field goal on the road here. So and what is basically tie goes to the home team type spread with BYU being favored. They're not even teams, in my personal opinion. We've talked about how good BYU was as a veteran squad before even starting the first podcast this year. I'm going to go with that, and this only confirms my, my I guess, preseason bias. Uh, so going back to a much longer scope, if anybody uses teamrankings.com, it's a great way to see trends across the board from multiple different teams. So that's another LOX-supported site that we get a lot of useful metrics from. Uh, so dating back to 2003, as far back as we can possibly get traceable trends from team rankings, BYU 81 and 29 straight up at home at 74% hit rate. So we're talking about a field goal game. I don't think this is a field goal game for Baylor and given how much of a disparity there is between squads. So to me, if you're taking BYU minus three here, you're also taking them thinking the same thing of a straight up win because I think that this game is not going to be won by, by BYU probably my famous last words there by less than a field goal. So if I also look at them as a favorite, not necessarily just at home, but as a favorite 69 and 16 straight up as well. So that's 81%. That's even better. So that confirms the narrative that you don't win in Provo and just one last thing. And this is the, it, it's average margin of victories in those straight up records, two touchdowns. So the field goal spread seems like I'm getting I'm basically able to lay points confidently by knowing that BYU is likely to win by more, um, especially the fact that this is a night game, which I love, love, love for BYU. Uh, so everything combined based off everyone said BYU, it was a pretty easy choice for me. I didn't want to lock it because I do like Baylor. I do like Dave Aranda as a coach. His team will be prepared. I think this is going to be somewhere within like less than double digits, but not necessarily less than three, if that makes sense. But give me the Cougars. Football fans, the first Sunday of the NFL season is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving new customers a can't-miss offer to celebrate the return of the NFL season. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 and get $200 in free bets instantly. As an added bonus for Week 1, everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings' early win promotion. It's very simple. You bet on an NFL team to win. If your team leads by 10 at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code SOS to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet this Sunday. That's code SOS only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Please see the show note for details.
That one, by the way, is kicking off at 10, 15 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. So you're going to have to stay up late for that one, but well worth it. Should be a great atmosphere in Provo as well, as it always is. Let's move back to the East Coast, back to a game that I think personally is the toughest game to pick that we have picked so far this season. Tennessee traveling to Pittsburgh. Tennessee quarterback Hendon Hooker has a lot of hype, a lot of Heisman hype. He played very well in their first game. Granted, it was against um, some known. I honestly forget who they even played. Ball State, what, whatever, doesn't matter. And then Pittsburgh coming off of an electric, heart-pounding close win against their bitter rival. Robert, are we going to see a letdown game for the Pittsburgh Panthers? Well, the sports books certainly think so. And I think I tend to be in agreement with them. Um, you know, I know that that they were in the moment very excited about that win because, I mean, it, it was one of the best games of the whole weekend. Um, truly electric. But honestly, if I were a Pitt fan, I would be concerned about that West Virginia game. Um, as I said, electric home atmosphere. It was the largest crowd that they've ever had to watch a football game ever and with all of those factors they still only beat a pretty mediocre at best West Virginia team on a fluky pick six where the receiver dropped the ball the receiver that had been absolutely shredding them all night drops a ball (laughs) and the uh, pit defender picks it up and takes it all the way back like Tennessee is a much much better team Let's add that that wasn't a drop. That was more of a volleyball pitch spike gift wrapped to the defensive back behind right, him. Right. Yeah. Volleyball no, did he pitch had... spike gift. Yeah, he set it up for the spike. No doubt. Avid, avid volleyball player, Chris Hines, for everybody. There you go. It is oh, also my. called a hit. Yeah, it hasn't been called a spike since the late 80s or in PE class, but but we go on. We, we move on. Point still stands. Well, my only volleyball experience is in PE class. So, um, yeah. So I do think Tennessee is a much better team overall and definitely a much better offense than West Virginia's. Um, and so I think the battle really will be won up front. If you look at Tennessee's offensive line, they have four returning starters. They, they managed to run block really well last week. Um, they ran um, well over 200 yards. I don't know the exact number. And they also kept Hendon Hooker safe. Hendon Hooker was only pressured one time um, for the entire game against Ball State. And again, that's Ball State, so take that with a grain of salt. Pitt's defensive line is definitely more talented than Ball State's. But also, I think this Pitt defensive line had a bit of a disappointing showing against West Virginia that I think it's a little bit underrated. Um, Pitt's, I'm sorry, West Virginia's running backs ran for 208 yards. Um, and they also didn't put a ton of pressure on JT Daniels either. Um, Tennessee is a very run-heavy, then play-action-heavy offense. Um, so it all is one up front where they draw the defense in and then hit them over the top with a deep ball. And I just don't think Pitt will be strong enough up front to make up for their pretty so-so offense. Um, so I see Tennessee going into a Creasure Stadium or whatever, Heinz Field, and winning this by two possessions or more pretty comfortably. Yeah, 
again, on the same train of thought here with Tennessee at Pittsburgh, uh, you kind of nailed it on the head just talking about how I think West Virginia is not a very good team. Uh, I think that Pittsburgh should have beat them by a lot more, and they just were pretty disappointing overall. I thought they were going to actually blow them out, but uh, it's a pretty close game. And then, like you said, fluky pick six, you know, is the reason they won the game. So, I mean, I'm all in on Tennessee, I think, on games that aren't against top 10, against top 10 teams. I think they'll actually surprise some people this year. I think, obviously, Hendon Hooker last year put his name on the map with the Tennessee uniform on. So, I think he's going to keep that train rolling, and I think uh, Tennessee is going to win this one pretty handedly. You know, Robert, you're talking about the Pittsburgh defensive line maybe being a bit disappointing. I thought they made some really good plays. You saw the NFL talent, but then you also saw them kind of get pushed around a little bit. West Virginia's running back had a good game. You saw them kind of lose control of the line of scrimmage. I think that's going to be big. I also think Pittsburgh's offensive line really struggled. They gave up five sacks. Now, yes, West Virginia has a very good defensive line. It's the strength of that team. But when you're giving up five sacks in a game, you're pretty lucky to still win it. And so I I think this is one where it'll be a close game, but at the end of the day, I don't think Pittsburgh's offense is going to be able to score in the mid-30s against Tennessee, and that's what they're going to need to do because this Tennessee offense with Hendon Hooker and all the weapons he has, Jalen Hyatt um, as well, they are pretty filthy. Tennessee has the the over has hit in nine of Tennessee's last 10 games, and it's hit in seven of their last seven. This is a team that is not only performing well on offense, it's performing better than what models can keep up with. So I don't, 66 is a really big number, but I I could easily see Tennessee putting up in the upper 30s in this game, which is what they're projected. I, I think 66 is a really, really high over under number, but um, I, I just don't see Pittsburgh's offense doing any more than what they did against West Virginia, and they would have to do more to cover this spread. So I'm going to go Rocky Top here. I don't like rooting for Rocky Top, but I really don't like rooting for Pittsburgh either. Um, this has potential. I think if they can carry that momentum into the next game, but Robert, like you said, that rarely happens in college football. Well, Honestly, what it reminds me of is Virginia Tech's win against UNC last year, where you have all that emotion, all of that momentum, and then you're just going to fall flat right after that. I'm not sure Pittsburgh can match that enthusiasm in a game. I don't think many programs or teams could. So I'm going to go Tennessee in this one, Um, but it would be a really big win for the ACC if they got this one. Yeah, Sam, it's almost like people forget that they rooted for those UCF teams with Josh Heupel, then forgot he became the head coach of Tennessee, and somehow there wasn't supposed to be some exponential increase in offensive output from Tennessee. It's like, yes, his footprints are now, or fingerprints, excuse me, are all over this Tennessee offense. This is the same guy that got Drew Locke drafted. This this, this guy is an offensive, uh, I would consider to be one of the best offensive minds in the country up there on par with like the Lincoln Rileys of the world, and he just doesn't get his... Uh, I guess credit because he's he's buried in the SEC depth chart but um, they're a great offensive team and I think they're starting to lean towards being just a good overall team as they get their roster in place but um, to kind of further flesh this out when I was looking at the line because I agreed it was a difficult line to look at to start until I went back and listened to our coastal uh, locks uh, preseason pod 
and I just heard all of our pit takes because I needed to re-understand of why I just assumed that pit was not going to be as good as years prior. So to recapture that, everyone remember, Keen Slovis is very limited as a quarterback. That hasn't changed. He will continue to be limited. Um, it's, he's, he's not a, a young guy. He's a pretty veteran quarterback. Kurt Signetti, as the offensive coordinator, is pit, will continue to try to run a 60-40% run pass split. Guess what? That's what they ran against West Virginia. Uh, I think they ran um, uh, almost 40 pass plays to in the low 20s uh, run plays. And their defensive backs are still their weakness you know, on, on the defensive side. And, you know, that was confirmed from uh, ESPN's David Hale had them ranked 10th in the ACC going into the preseason positional rankings. And he's pretty wired in when it comes to having a pretty good, accurate depiction of whose position groups in the ACC and where they rank. Um, so now I look at in comparison to who's coming into this matchup, and that is, you know, that is this Tennessee team. And you go, well, what are they? Well, I have a bit, I had a bit of hesitancy when I saw that Pitt, and I'm a big believer in the TARP metric, is actually much higher than Tennessee in terms of where they rank. Tennessee being at minus two, Pitt being at a plus 5.5. And then I looked at where those groups are that are returning that production because you have to look into that. Um, and for the most part, nothing changes about the dialogue around Pitt's defensive uh, front seven, if you will, you know, that was their strength. And then on the, on the, excuse me, on the opposite side, it was their offensive line. Well, we just saw their offensive line, as you said, give up that many sacks in a game. So is it true? I have no idea. We'll see as this game plays on, but is Kurt Signetti, the offensive coordinator that's going to take, uh, I guess the biggest weakness for his opponent and pulled into an offensive scheme that makes a lot of sense based on the fact that he basically has, Keen Slovis throwing to a bunch of people that, you know, aren't necessarily going to light the world on fire. And on the opposite side, with the defensive secondary of Pitt being so bad and Tennessee being so explosive, I have to believe that is the matchup that is actually exploited in this game. So minus seven seemed like at the end of the day, enough of a margin to take Tennessee pretty confident. I'm going to lay the points. I'm going to take the volunteers because I believe that the matchup dependency between Tennessee offense versus Pitt defense. And then on the contrary, Pitt's offensive scheme, not able to take advantage of the Tennessee weakness. Um, I, I just believe that there's going to be too many explosive plays in this game for, I guess, uh, Pat Narduzzi to be comfortable with calling more pass plays in this game and then switching up their offensive scheme. Um, and then to solidify that, just take this away. Pitt is 10 and 11 against ranked teams with an average margin of victory of minus 14 points. So they do not play ranked competition very well, even if they are at home. So that was the tiebreaker with everything at the end of the day. So I'm taking the volunteers, not confident, but at minus seven, it does seem like something that is the most likely scenario. Kind of piggybacking off of that, Chris, I also have Pitt is one in five against the spread as an underdog in their last six games as an underdog. They're not a team that plays up to their competition very much historically they are they are a home favorite team in the bad weather later on in the season it's going to be i think in the mid 80s on saturday in pittsburgh it's going to be beautiful and there's going to be a lot of points a lot of points well let's let's talk about a game where there probably won't be a whole lot of points because the over under is set at 45 and a half yes we are talking about the virginia tech Hokies, who are quite frankly, um, still down in the dumps. They've been down the dumps for about four years now. And here we are, 0-1. Uh, 
going up against the team that they themselves are down in the dumps. Boston College is down right now. They lost to Rutgers. Virginia Tech lost to Old Dominion. And here's Virginia Tech at home as three-point favorites in this. Robert, I, I don't really even know what to say at this point. I literally don't have notes. I just wrote Tech <laughs> versus BC dot, dot, dot. It's just going to come to you, right? Oh, I could go on for a while, but we, we, we'll, we'll save the people that. This That's is fair. the ellipsis game. This is the, this is the dot, dot, dot game. You're yeah. waiting patiently on that text thread and someone's messaging you and it never comes. That's Virginia Tech football. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, all that said, it is pretty hard for me to expect Tech to win, much less cover, after uh, you know last week and all of the other weeks of misery and torture. Um, but I'm doing it anyway. Here we go. Glass half full. Uh, honestly, last week with Boston College losing to Rutgers, Rutgers sucks, man. I'm sorry. Rutgers is like, they might be the worst team in the Power Five. <laughs> like, maybe they're not that bad, but they're pretty bad. No, they're not worse than Temple, I promise. No, no, in the Power Five. Oh, Power Five. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's Vanderbilt actually looks decent. So it's possible. Yeah, right, right. Um, Rutgers is terrible, and I can't believe they won that game. And all that this leads me to believe is that the Halfley Dracovic experiment is over. Chalk it up. It's a failure. And I have been someone who has fervently defended both of them. Um, but it's just, they're not good. Halfley's not that good of a coach. He was in over his head taking the job and Dracovic just will never, it just doesn't seem like he can get back to who he was a couple years ago. Um, and now, you know, talking about the Tennessee game, I was kind of honing in on, on pressures. Um, and I'm going to do it again for this game because I think that this is the key um, to this game on Saturday night. Um, one of Tech's brightest spots, maybe even their brightest spot um, on Friday night was their pass rush. Virginia Tech pressured ODU quarterback Hayden Wolf on 20 of his 38 dropbacks. That's 53% of his dropbacks. He was under pressure. And because of that, they held him to a 40% completion percentage and only 4.7 yards per attempt. Um, so ODU's passing game was certainly not the reason why Virginia Tech lost that game. And now you look at what Boston College did this week. They also failed to protect Jerkovic against a worse pass rush out of Rutgers. And because of that, he struggled. So he was pressured on 38% of his dropbacks, which isn't as bad as 53, but it's still not good. And he finished with a 56.1 completion percentage, 6.9 yards per attempt. He also threw two interceptions and was sacked four times. So, yeah, like I said, this proves that Jerkovic isn't who he used to be. And the pressure really got to him. And for reference, Florida State's quarterback. So, you know, we can look at maybe a, a comparable quarterback, not necessarily in playing style, but in terms of like their perception as far as like ACC quarterback rankings go. We look at Jordan Travis from Florida State. He was pressured on 43% of his dropbacks versus LSU, but he still finished with zero interceptions, also with a 60.6 completion percentage and 7.9 yards per attempt against a much more talented defense. So Dracovic clearly cannot handle the pressure. So if the Hokies can keep that pressure on him while also doing the one thing that I think they failed to do in this scenario, which was finish those sacks and interceptions. 
the fact that they got 20 pressures, but only one sack is almost, that's pretty hard to replicate, honestly, you know, cause Hayden Wolf wasn't exactly Lamar Jackson back there. Um, so I think that if they can finish those sacks while also, you know, getting those interceptions, they had probably three different interceptions bounce off a of defender's hands. Um, those are to me, it's kind of fluky that all of those things would go wrong. So if they can finish the sacks and the interceptions that they will have the opportunity to do, I think they can set their struggling offense up well by dominating the field position battle. And so if they do this, I think the Hokies could win it by as much as two possessions. Um, so I'm taking tech in the points here. Yeah. Hate to say it. I was in shambles Friday night as everybody was, but I think this is a horrible time for Boston college to come into Blacksburg. Uh, first home game with a new coach. I mean, just coming off Rutgers, a loss, pretty bad loss to Rutgers, uh, Virginia tech, you know, I can't, I don't, there's just no way they come out flat and prize first home game uh, at home. I, well, that was redundant. You know what I meant? Uh, now, if this was the Fuente era towards the end here, I think that it would be a good time for you to favor Virginia tech because they probably would come out flat if they opened with a loss to you and having to play at home uh, during the back half of Fuente's career. So I think it's just the scenario is a really bad time for Boston College to come in, coming off a loss. And then obviously from a statistic standpoint, Robert nailed all the things on the head. I think Boston College, what they're known for is their offensive line, and uh, they suck. I mean, they are bad. And Phil Dracovic, not the greatest guy to evade a pass pass rush. So I like I'm imagining myself, uh, Brent Pride doing the, remember the Titans quote about them blitzing all night so that's kind of what i'm imagining is going to happen uh and a night game just the excitement i think people are going to get over the odu loss it really sucked i mean there's no doubt about it i think people are going to get over it once that ball kicks off at eight o'clock on friday night i mean saturday night in blacksburg and i think the players are too so that's kind of where i'm at and i think that's why i'm taking virginia tech at home if this was at boston college different story if this was uh any virginia going to any other team away uh, different story. I think it's just a fact of the scenario that it's at home. Um, I'm betting the teams, not the numbers. Not the best way to do it sometimes, but I think in this case it is. So I'm taking Virginia Tech. Yeah. And I mean, that was a, like, let's be honest, that was a really poorly coached football team on, on Friday night. They had a lot of penalties. They were dropping passes. They were missing tackles. Um, the coaches weren't good with with time allotment. Um, the play calling was suspect there in the fourth quarter on the last two drives to ice the game, where Tokes had two chances to ice the game. Grant Wells does not look like he understands where his receivers are going. And this team, I mean, even, even with if Jalen Jones is back at wide receiver, two of their top four wide receivers are walk-ons. Like, this is an FCS roster on offense right now guys it was really bad you had two starting two returning starters on offensive line grade below a 56 on pff against old dominion it is not good um i'm gonna be honest i'm not picking virginia tech to win another game until they show me they can do it now i'm just not like i do not expect them to beat a well-coached boston college team i know boston college looked really bad at home against rutgers but i I haven't seen these players play well in a really long time. And look, we talked to, oh, they had so many flukes. They had the bat snap over the kicker's head. Uh, You had three dropped interceptions. Holston dropped a pass that would have iced the game. Too many penalties. Yes, bad luck comes into play, but also the players just 
aren't that good and they're going to make mistakes. These aren't really great all pro players making fluke mistakes. These are pretty mediocre to not high level power five players that are doing what they do and it's make mistakes. I think this team will get better as the year goes on. I think their coaching will get better as the year goes on. But week two against a really good defensive coach is not going to be good for this offense. I like uh, Boston College plus three here. Um, I I think it's going to be a really, really tough start to the season based on what I saw Friday. That was like a a number five with a bullet. Sam Jesse delivering the Boston College cover here. Um, And to be honest, it was pretty easy. I didn't I I never thought about taking tech here. Yeah, thought about it. When you talked about the offensive versus the defense productivity, I agree with I agree with you. The biggest liability right now seems to pertain to the offense and the fact that you have to look at the offensive staff and kind of who is on the offensive staff and how they can coach them up to get ready for week two. But we'll go all the way back to the preseason and offseason here. And I will lead off my part here with the famous words of George Costanza. It's not a lie if you believe it. So I'll start with that. So with that, the Hokies at minus three and a half, I still believe all of the offseason lies at this point because it's only week two, and I'm not yet buying into that ODU loss as what will likely be the indicative of how this Virginia Tech team is to start the season versus to end the season. And that's a big difference. I feel like there's going to be a little bit of growth pattern, a little bit of journey because it's going to take actual in-game season reps for this staff to get their kind of quote-unquote claws into this roster to be able to mold them into what they will be by the end of the season and I feel like ODU which I think we can all agree at this point is the Bermuda Triangle of Virginia Tech football we we fly into there weird stuff happens no one can explain it it'll end up on the Discovery Channel segment a couple years from now and still even then we won't be able to really understand what actually happened at that point There'll just be a lot of people describing what they saw and it'll end up being some sort of like uncharted kind of undiscoverable, excuse me, a a non-scientific type of uh, accounts that happen from what happens when Virginia Tech plays you do. And I'll remind our our tech listeners, we have a few more years of this this setup in place too right now. So we have more, 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 more journeys to old uh, Norfolk, Virginia, Norfolk, Virginia, if you will, um, coming on the horizon here. But I'll go back into where that game was. Let me recreate that kind of seminal moment in the game. And this was Virginia Tech is up seven to three. We complete a pass to Lofton at first and goal at the ODU three, except what happened? Well, number 18, William Kakavitsis, Kakavitsis, am I pronouncing that correctly? Um, who was a walk-on, was primarily playing at that point because Caleb Smith, who was the much more senior and capable walk-on, had gotten injured early on in the game and in the half and he was not on, not on the field, and so his walk-on replacement was playing behind him, and we went from going from a possible first and three at the goal line, or excuse me, first and goal at the three situation where Tech could possibly go 14 to three leading into the half, and what happened? We take the offensive pass interference, we move back, one play happens, we don't move the ball up to get the first down, and then guess what? Bot snap from the, I can't explain it, the unexperienced long snapper sails over the head of the uh, the holder and all of a sudden ODU scores and returns a touchdown and now we're down 10 to seven. 
and we go into half accordingly. So if you look at going into the next half, VT scores 10 points in the third. If it was 14 to three, now it's a 24 to three ball game. Completely different. This is in addition to all the facts that we still have the interceptions, we still have the penalties, but it's a much different ball game if it's 24 to three going into the fourth quarter than to the contrary where ODU scores 10. So I just believe that if we walk in that situation and, and then we think, yeah, that's not great, but still the win, we still have to account for the penalties. We still have to account for the fact that Grant Wells is just, he likes to throw interceptions and we still have to work on those areas of the game. But the foundation is still there. We still have a veteran roster, experienced roster, not necessarily a multi, like an ex exponentially, as Sam, you alluded to, a talented roster, but it's still an experienced roster with a coaching staff in place that can coach them up. Um, so that's where I'm still at. It's week two. I'm leaning on the fact that there's no greater motivator than humiliation. Um, and <laughs> as much as it speaks to the veteran group in this group, they have overcome multiple times humiliating losses over the last three years. I think we can all go back and chart the course. 2018 was the last ODU loss. They rebounded and beat. Remember, if you remember that number 22 ranked Duke team pretty handedly in 2019, they have that humiliating 45 to 10 Duke loss at home on, I think, the 1999 uh, roster, uh, what is it, the championship game, like a uh, tribute game. Um, they lose, uh, then they rebound the next week and win versus Miami. In 2020, they had the Liberty loss. They rebounded by playing a very close one-point loss to Miami. And then in 21, we beat Georgia Tech after the Cuse collapse. We beat Duke, um, excuse me, uh, the, after the BC no-show game, we beat Duke. And then we beat UVA after the Miami beatdown. Of course, Fuente was fired. So this team, for all of those inexplicable losses, they seem to bounce back the next week. So I'll give them that, and I'll take the Hokies at what I would consider to be a charitable minus three and a half. I think it's probably going to end up at minus three. Um, and so I'm looking at that. But, you know, all things considered, I'm still buying the lies. Give me the Hokies minus three and a half at home. I'm, you heard it here first. I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. But I got a nasty feeling that this team's a lot worse than, than what we think. Um, let's move ahead. The BC to our, fans are saying the same thing about their team. That is true. That is true. Um, although the, the BC guy we talked to said they were going to win eight games. Um, but I think they, I, I agree. I think Jerkovich has been pretty overrated, um, at his time at BC, but we'll see what we happens. You should ask him what he thinks now. I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Mid-season check-in. Uh, we'll check with the floor state guy. I thought they were going to win six games. Probably think they're national champions now. Let's go ahead and look at our special bets of the week. Robert, you're going to kick us off with your free money bet of the week. Rapid fire. Let's end it on a high note. Yes, and we have breaking news out of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Sam's Heisman favorite, Sam Hartman, is back, baby. I hope you all held on to Wake Forest over. Yeah, he is back. And this game is going to score so many points oh my gosh infinite points uh so my free money bet here this week is the wake forest vanderbilt over right now it is still only set at 66 and 66 is a pretty high number for an over under don't get me wrong but think about this with sam hartman back at quarterback wake is going back to their 2021 form offensively because they brought basically the entire offense back and i'm talking about an offense that was number one 
number one in the entire FBS in drive efficiency last year. And I'm also talking about a Vanderbilt defense that gave up 31 points to Elon last week. Go Phoenix. And I'm talking about a Vanderbilt offense that has scored 105 points in two weeks with a quarterback, Mike Wright, who is absolutely electric and has accounted for 10 touchdowns in two weeks. And Wake isn't is definitely not a defensive stalwart. I mean, there could be a hundred points scored in this game easily. My official score prediction is 56-35 Wake Forest. And I'm really tempted to do the same thing I did last week and throw in this Wake Forest minus 13 and a half spread as well into a little parlay action. Um, because this line has moved from eight to 13 and a half since Hartman came back. Since I got burned on that last week, I'm going to officially say the free money pick is just the over. But if you want to throw in that extra little something on the spread, you know, not a terrible idea, but it's not free money. Okay. So over 66. Yeah. My, uh, this is, I thought my under 51 pick was pretty crazy last week with my nutty pick of the week. Um, it's even worse this week because we have an absolute barn burner of a matchup, and that is Iowa State versus Iowa. Um, if anybody didn't see it, Iowa last week will beat South Dakota State 7-3 to three without scoring a touchdown. Uh, I don't think that – has that ever happened before? I No, it's never happened before. I, yeah, I saw a few tweets about it. Yeah. A team has never won a game with seven points by not scoring a touchdown. Yeah, so – that was the our friends over at Sicko's committee. That has to be number one all time for them. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. Seven to three without scoring a touchdown. And then they play a bad Iowa State team. So my pick for this is Iowa, Iowa State under 40 points. 40. I don't think I've ever seen a college football game at 40 points. I mean, that is just absurd. So I really don't think this game is going to be going to get past like 30. I think it's going to be like 14 to three. I'm not even kidding. And it might be, I don't know who's going to win the game. So I was like, well, I'm, let's see if I can pick a team. I was like, nope, screw it. Both these teams suck. Their offenses literally, I think, are the worst in college football. So I'm just going to go with the under. If, I would say under 40. If it's 14 to three, Iowa or Iowa State will have seven safeties. Yeah. That is how this game will go. <laughs> Perfect for the under. You said the line was 40? Over, under 40. Oh Four my God. That's, zero. That's, that's like Steelers Ravens week 16. That's crazy. <laughs> but to think about it, I mean, a, a 21-17 game is under. Yeah, so it's no not, it's not crazy. There's no way. Yeah, no way. Chris, your captain's choice of the week. All right. So I'm going to play off of Irby on this one. And to preempt all of the Oh, you guys collude in the background. We don't talk about our individual choices of the week at all. My captain's choice of the week is my just dedicated to Captain Phillips, the movie. I'm the captain now, pick of the week, and I'm taking the Vanderbilt Commodores now, plus 13 home underdogs versus the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. So I'm going to fade Irby a little bit. I'm possibly taking Wake Forest at minus 13. I'm going to tell you why. Vandy plus 13 is a home overcorrection, overcorrection, excuse me, for them playing a very ugly game versus Elon last week. So why was the game ugly? Let's think about that for a little bit. So starting out, Nebraska, when they traveled to Dublin and then they didn't 
schedule a bye week from traveling back from Dublin. And they played, I think it was North Dakota uh, in their week one game, which is essentially their second game of the season. And they were basically fighting to try to beat North Dakota in that game from home because they were obviously number one fatigued from having a massive amount of air travel time and a lot of interruption to the schedule and didn't schedule some sort of break coming off of a big travel break and excuse me, a big travel plan in the program, which was for people listening at home, going from Omaha, Nebraska to Dublin and back, talking about a six hour time difference and 3,900 travel miles. What people didn't mention was the fact that Vandy essentially did the same thing. You know, Vandy goes on the road in week zero and plays at Oahu, Hawaii, the Rainbow Warriors, beats the living crap out of them, and then comes home, which most people think, oh, that's only a five-hour time difference, but it's 4,300 miles. It's more miles traveled, more airtime traveled than Nebraska did in the same time frame. And yet, obviously, because nobody cares about Vanderbilt, nobody, no, nobody talked about it. Uh, so Vandy comes in. Listen, they are a solid, and I've always alluded to it, they're a solid TARP rating team. They're a plus seven and a half. They're year two of development behind Clark Lee, who I believe is a solid coordinator into a now head coaching position at Vanderbilt, formerly at Notre Dame. Um, Wake is good too, but now we're talking about with Sam Hartman coming back, a two touchdown basically spread. So what am I thinking about what Sam Hartman's activity was with the Wake Forest team this last few weeks? He's been on this undisclosed medical leave. I don't know if he's been practicing. There's probably going to be a little bit of a rust. I'm not saying that Wake Forest isn't going to score a lot of points. I'm just saying that Vandy should be expected now that they have uh, what I consider to be a home kind of comfortable setting for them to be able to keep up with Wake Forest and cover a 13-point spread because I also, as Irby alluded to, buy completely into Mike Wright being a very dynamic dual-threat quarterback for Vanderbilt. So everything considered, my captain's choice of the week is the Vanderbilt Commodores, which for all you naval and British historians out there from a military history standpoint, a Commodore is actually a superior rank to a captain. So you know this pick is going to be good because it's like a super captain's pick of the week here, taking the Commodores. So I'll leave that as you will, Vanderbilt plus 13. I mean, where else can you get great betting advice and nautical history? I don't think there's another podcast Nowhere. that does it. No one, no one's doing this right now. Not a single person. Trailblazers, even uh, guys. My graveyard shift game of the week is a, it's a really juicy one. A juicy Mountain West game for a team that had a really disappointing week one late night game. The Boise State Broncos went to Corvallis and found out just how improved the Oregon State Beavers are. Lost that game pretty handily, but they did make a quarterback change. Hank Bachmeyer. How too many interceptions bring in Talon green, big bodied quarterback can run like a deer adds another dimension to that offense. They are 16 and a half point favorites at New Mexico. This is where Boise state thrives by crushing the smaller teams in the mountain West. I think they're going to have a little bit more energy. They're going to be a little bit more dynamic offensively. I like them to cover this spread here. They might even win this game by four or five touchdowns. New Mexico, an improved New Mexico team. They did win 41-0 against a good FCS main team, but um, I, I think Boise State's going to rock them re, right in here and kind of get their season back on schedule. So give me the Boise State Broncos late night, minus 16 and a half. Fellas, it's been a great show. 
We're looking forward to some better Virginia Tech football this weekend, but most importantly, just more great college football across the slate. Tons of games to watch. Hit us up on Twitter at Locks of Saturday if you haven't, and stay tuned for all of our picks, graphics. Uh, We'll have all of these picks on Twitter.com. Robert, sign us off. Go Hokies. That one, that was tough.